Well, the Big 12 Conference starts to see some separation in the basketball standings. I'm Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports. He is a Matthew Postens, our lead Big 12 basketball writer. Just three games left in the regular season. Can you believe it? Uh, this past week, Matthew, let's just spend some time on the week that was in the Big 12. There was off-court drama, you know, Texas Tech fans going after UT, the flagrant two, everything involving that fiasco. There was BYU coming back to upset Kansas. Um, you know, there's just a lot of things that continues to me prove that this is the most compelling basketball conference in the country right now. And it's not even close. What about you? Yeah. I mean, you know, Texas Tech, let's not forget Texas Tech got drilled in that game by Texas. Yeah. Correct. I mean, yeah, all that drama and you lose by 15, 20 points on your home floor to a team that you think is your rival, but a team that really doesn't think you're anything at all to them. I mean, you're certainly not yeah. Oklahoma or Texas A&M to them. And, mm-hmm. you know, BYU, that was a big win for them. I think that's like the biggest takeaway for this midweek is just, you know, BYU going into Allen Fieldhouse and winning a game there was not on my bingo card. I mean, Kansas is a team right now that they'll lose a game at home now once a year. You know, they lost to TCU last year. They lost a, a game at home the year before that. But, you know, a team like BYU that, to my knowledge, hasn't played in that environment and probably hasn't played in that environment in a long time, to go in there and win that game, albeit with Kansas obviously being shorthanded, to me that's a huge win for them. It really cements uh, cements BYU as a tournament team and and I think shows that they can be a player in the tournament once we get to, to March Madness. Yeah, I, you know, BYU went to Allen Fieldhouse, won a game there for the first time since 1971, uh, beat Kansas uh, for the first time since 1960. So, I mean, these are just crazy numbers. You know, I'm watching that game, and Mark Pope gets a technical foul with about eight minutes left. And at that point, they had chipped away at the KU lead, which was as much as 12 points in that second half. They're down by six at that point. And BYU closed the game hitting four straight three-pointers, which really sealed that victory for them. And to do that on the road in that environment, I mean, that Allen Fieldhouse crowd was just stunned. They had won 19 straight at home. And, you know, you're up 12 points in the second half at home in that environment against BYU. It's not a knock on BYU, but no one thinks, Matthew, yeah. BYU was making that comeback. And there was like a 30-point differential in three-point um, uh, points, literally three-point points that were made. And that's something as well that's, you know, hurt Kansas and could bite them come March. A hot team gets them in that three-point percentage, and they're going to be in trouble. Yeah, and that's why BYU, BYU can be so troublesome to teams in the tournament because of that ability to shoot. I think we, you and I talked earlier in the year about you know, when they're shooting 39, 40% from three, they're winning. When they're shooting 33, 34%, they're losing. Um, there's a very clear margin between when they shoot well from three and a correlation to winning the game. And mm-hmm. you know, to go into a place like that, you've got to be tough. So, you know, when Mark Pope gets that technical foul, you can go one of two different ways. You can either yes. just go straight into the tank, you know, this just not isn't our night, or you can find a way to to fight through it and BYU found a way to fight through it. And the fact that they hit those clutch threes down the stretch, I think really shows you how tough this team is. Uh, They've been a really tough team to deal with at home all year. Uh, But this is like the the second time I've seen them show a lot of toughness on the road. And and this is going to be the kind of win that helps them when they go to Kansas city. It's the kind of win that's going to help them when they go to uh, the NCAA tournament. I mean, 
any big 12 team to me that makes the tournament now, they're a potential second weekend team. They've got the ability to get there. Even Kansas, Kansas can get hot in the first weekend against mm-hmm. the second weekend, but yeah. uh, you're starting to look at, you know, seven teams above 500 in this conference, seven teams below 500 in this conference. There's a clear line of demarcation, I think right now between the, the really good teams and the, I don't want to say really bad teams, but the teams that aren't measuring up. Yeah. You know, and I think you're right. Every big 12 team and every big 12 fan base that makes the tournament is going to think we're a sweet 16 team. Now it's going to be tough. You know, if you get an eight seed, you got to play a one seed in the second round. Uh, But still, they're all going to say, why not us? Because as um, one of our, viewers right now on YouTube, Glenn notes, March Madness is going to be total madness this year. And I, I think that's true, Matthew. I think you look around the country. I mean, I believe Houston's one of the top three, four teams in the country, but as we continue to get more parity in this sport, the transfer portal is helping that tremendously. I, you know, we know what happened last year, another 16 beat a one. Like, I, yeah. I don't think that's out of the question in any case this year. I just think that it's going to get even crazier come the NCAA tournament. Yeah, it's really more than ever. It's about being that team that kind of has the hot hand going yeah. into the tournament. You you need to have all your your horses together, so to speak, when you get to March Madness. And mm-hmm. you know, to your point about being an eight seed, yeah. But we saw TCU as a eight or nine seed two years ago win their first round game and nearly beat Arizona. You know, That's you right. could make the argument that TCU probably should have beaten Arizona mm-hmm. in that second round game. That you know, Arizona maybe got a little bit of help there at the end of the game. So. You know, even a 10, 11 Big 12 seed is going to have an opportunity to get to the second weekend of this tournament. Some of that's about the depth and uh, talent in this conference. Some of that is about the fact that there really isn't a a dominant team or a, a dominant group of teams that I think are, are going to really kind of make their case to be national champions. It's going to be a pretty wide swath of teams. It is. Now, you look at the Big 12 standings right now, it's it's... It's either Houston or it's Iowa State. Houston's got a one-game lead in Iowa State, and then KU and Baylor are three games back. So with three games to play, they're effectively out of the mix. Um, Houston's schedule at Oklahoma on Saturday, at UCF next week, and then home to Kansas next Saturday. And Iowa State is at UCF, home to BYU, at Kansas State. Um, Right out of the gates, my gut tells me Houston has the tougher stretch here. Two road games back-to-back at Oklahoma, at UCF can be tricky. Road games are always tricky in the Big 12. And then you got to welcome in Kansas to end the season. Now, we don't know where Kansas is going to be, where Kevin McCullough is going to be at that point. Will he be back? Will he be playing? That's been a, a strange situation, to say the least. But, you know, I'd probably rather have Iowa State's draw here at UCF. Then you get BYU at home. You'd rather have them there than on the road. Absolutely. And then you go to K-State, although K-State, that could be a game where K-State looks at and says a win gets us into the NCAA tournament. So I don't know. What about you? Which schedule would you want? I think Iowa State's is probably a little more forgiving. Um, yeah, I mean, UCF's not an easy place to play, as we've, as we've learned yeah. this season That's for crazy. Houston. Uh, I thought Houston did a nice job taking care of Cincinnati the other night. That's a team that they've had trouble with previously in the American Athletic Conference. Um, I felt like that was a good win for them to not, you know, kind of take a step back and let a team that is really kind of, you know, scratching and fighting and trying to get into the NCAA tournament to, to reach up and upset them. But yeah, two straight road games, Oklahoma's fighting for seeding. 
Yeah. Um, Kansas is going to be fighting perhaps for a, a double buy in the big 12 tournament. So I, yeah, I, I think Houston's road is going to be a little bit tougher if they want to win the conference. Yeah. So, and, and if you're Houston, you got to figure, Hey, we got to win these three games um, because you got to figure Iowa state, which will be favored in their three games. will go three and zero over that stretch, not guaranteed by any stretch, but you got to assume that. Yeah. Um, so that's where things are kind of at right now in the big 12. Before we get to this weekend, Matthew, I do want to ask you about some of the allegations that have been tossed out there. I know Clemson's coach brought this up. It's gotten a lot of attention. Uh, it's being brought up right now on our YouTube live. Edwin says the big 12 is not gaming the net system. Um, what do you make of the allegations? The big 12 is gaining the net system to try to improve its status as the top conference in college basketball. Look, everybody's gaming the system. Everybody builds their schedule the same way. You play anywhere from three to five teams that you know are going to challenge you. You know, Kansas probably plays one or two more than, say, Cincinnati just because of who Kansas is. You play two or three games at an off-site tournament where you might end up playing like a high major if you get to the championship game. And then the rest of your games are at home against mid-major or low-major teams. You can, We can slice and dice Iowa State's net of their opponents in non-conference. And we could do the same to Houston and we could do the same to some of the other teams that, you know, in their non-conference schedule. But the reality is everybody builds their schedule the same way because they know they're going to play 18 to 20 games in their conference against high major opponents. And they know that's going to do some, some damage to their net. I mean, Cincinnati's net has been pretty stable, but if they had played a, a more difficult non-conference and lost a few of those games, you know, their net would be lower than it is right now. I, I just, I feel like that's just, I saw that and I was like, you know what? Sour grapes. And here's a guy who has a team that has a net of like 23. You're telling me Clemson played a tougher schedule than half the big 12 and non-conference. I, I haven't looked at their schedule yet, but I sincerely doubt it. Yeah. I sincerely doubt it as well, but for the big 12, this is good when you're getting attacked that's usually a good thing. That means people are jealous. That means they're coming after you. Um, and if you're the big 12, if you're Brett, your mark, you know, you kind of want to be in that position. You would rather be the conference getting talked about, um, getting shot at, so to speak, than the one doing the shooting. Yeah. And you think about the big East back in the eighties, uh, they took a lot of shots when they rose up because they rose up fast and Georgetown's winning national championships and Villanova's doing the same. And, you know, I think all but one of their teams in the first 10 or 12 years of that conference got to a national championship game. And they took a lot of shots from the SEC and the ACC because they were kind of the party crashers. And yeah. they played a really physical style of basketball. And some folks in those conferences didn't like that. And back then, we didn't have a lot of these analytic tools to lean on to tell us who, you know, who, who the best teams were in the conference. It was, you know, decided on the court. So, yeah, I, if I'm in Brett Yormark's position, I'm absolutely happy with the fact that, that I'm taking shots from other coaches and from other conferences because that tells me, A, my teams are successful, and B, everybody's watching. Absolutely. Matthew Postens is joining us on Heartland College Sports. I'm Pete Mundo. He's, of course, our lead Big 12 basketball writer. Always appreciate him being on the show. And uh, you as well, hit that thumbs up on YouTube if you're joining us there. Or, of course, on the podcast, leave that five-star rating and review. Okay, Matthew, when you look around uh, this league, Kansas State feels like the real bubble team right now. Uh, Cincinnati has faded. UCF has faded. 
Cincinnati's kind of that team that we're still keeping, or excuse me, Kansas State's that team we're keeping a close eye on right now. They've yeah. got Cincinnati this weekend, and um, it's really become a must-win game. They have three games yeah. left at Cincinnati, at KU, home to Iowa State. I think two and one over that stretch, and Kansas State should be in. What about you? I think that's going to help them a great deal. Um, right now, I think they're seven or eight, you know, I think they're part of that next four out in bracketology at ESPN. Um, You know, they cannot lose to Cincinnati. They cannot lose that game. They must win that game. Uh, Kansas, you know, as shorthanded as Kansas is, that's going to be a really interesting game in Allen uh, next week. And I have a hard time seeing them beating Iowa state at home just because Iowa state's undefeated at home. And they just, they, they seem almost impervious at home, kind of like Houston. So, yeah, if they can find a way to scrape two wins, that gets them to 19 going into the Big 12 tournament. They're sitting there at, uh, you know, nine and nine. They're probably playing in that first set of uh, games on Wednesday. They win one there. They get to 20. If if you can be at 20 wins, you know, when you come out of the tournament, regardless of where you finish in the Big 12 tournament, that's going to give you a shot you know, at this point. And wow. I think with the overall net of the conference, their overall schedule, and everything else that gives them a good shot of getting in. Well, now, and just to be clear, because I know someone's going to bring it up, the Iowa State K State game is in Manhattan. Oh, I'm so sorry. Well, it's then, home. Okay. And I think that that may change the equation a little bit, but yeah. I, I just feel like if they can split those two games, assuming they get by Cincinnati this weekend, yeah, they they've got themselves in a in a very good spot. And you're right, maybe you got to pick off one more in the tournament to get to 20. But, um, you know, if you close the season with at least one top 10 win, when you've already got a couple of top 25 wins, you've already beaten KU, man, Jerome Tang, they may end up closing pretty strong. I'm not sure if I take them to go anywhere in March because they just are kind of a roller coaster team. I don't know what I'm getting night in, night out. But you know what? Jerome Tang in March, in crunch time, in overtime, you know what good he is there. I, I'm not going to bet against him either. No, I, I wouldn't bet against them at this point. If, if if magically they could win all three of those games, that would give them 20 wins going into Kansas city. All the data that I've collected over the past six or seven full seasons suggests that if you get to 20 wins before you get to your conference tournament, you're going to some sort of postseason, And usually about 65 70% of the time you're going to the NCAA tournament. So, you know, two and one, I think really helps them three and oh, I think almost makes them a lock to get in. Yes. Oh, gotta be a lock if they go three and oh, no doubt about it. So, uh, you look at this weekend slate, Kansas is at Baylor. That's really the, the, the premier game, um, in the conference this week. And that's a noon central tip on ABC. Now, both, neither of these teams are going to win the big 12, but I feel like they're important for seeding. Um, you know, Kansas coming off that loss earlier in the week, I think this game between KU and Baylor is really about when it comes to postseason positioning and things like that. Yeah, this is a game the committee can look at, you know, late in the season and say, you know, where are you at as a team? I mean, they look at analytics and they look at a lot of different data, but they're also looking at where you are in your last 10 games or looking at injuries. Uh, so they could definitely look at the result of this game and, and make some decisions about whether Kansas should be a two or a three or Baylor should be a two or a three. And you mentioned big 12 seeding. The loser of this game could potentially be tied with Texas tech, BYU or TCU, depending upon what happens on Saturday. Mm -hmm. If you're thinking about trying to get to those four double buys, and we talked about this last week, you know, in, in the context of Kansas needing some rest, you know, Houston's 
basically a lock at this point. Iowa State's just about a lock at this point. Kansas, Baylor, Texas Tech, BYU, TCU, they could all make a case to get one of those two double buys, depending upon what happens over the last three games. So if you're Kansas or Baylor, you're, you're, you know you're going to the tournament, but the ability to get an extra day of rest at the Big 12 tournament, this is a game, if you win it, that's going to really enhance your case to be able to do that. Great point. I mean, TCU-BYU this weekend in Provo, uh, yeah. that's a late game on Saturday on ESPN+. Plus. They're both 8-7 and seven in league play. That yeah. game could go a long way to determining which one of those two teams, if either, ends up getting the double bye because they'll be tied in record. The winner of that game will be tied in record with the loser of the KU-Baylor game. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, along with the four double buys, there are buys for the fifth and the sixth seed. It's just a single buy. They skip the uh, the Tuesday and they go into the Wednesday, you know, kind of like with the old 10-team format when you had the two, the seven through 10 teams play. And yes. those one and two would get kind of a buy out of that. So there are single buys to be had for the fifth and sixth seed. So, you know, when you look at this group of seven teams that are over 500 right now in the conference, that's basically the pool that those six you know, buys, whether they be single buys or double buys are going to come from, you know, unless somebody like a, a Kansas state comes surging from the back, but that's your group and any game they play right now, if you're thinking about seeding for the big 12 tournament, you don't want to be the seven because if you're the seven, you got to play Wednesday and you're probably going to play like a Kansas state or a Texas, somebody who's really tough and might be on a tear at that point. Yeah. You look at this league, Almost half the conference, six of the 14 teams are eight and seven or seven and eight in league play going into Saturday. And I didn't have that in my mind until I just looked at it here. And I'm like, gosh, you almost got half the conference that is sitting directly in the middle of the pack, which goes to show you the depth of this league, but also how much these next three games actually matter for what you're talking about. Rest, positioning for the Big 12 tournament, and then seeding and positioning for the NCAA tournament. So these games, they're going to play a big role coming up on Saturday and next week as well. Yeah. I mean, think about Kansas city. I'm, I'm going to be there uh, obviously for the women and the men, but the, the, the first two men's games are Tuesday afternoon. That's your 11, 14 and 12, 13 games. That's mm -hmm. two days. Well, three days after they play their Saturday games and then they come back and they've got four games on Wednesday, four games on Thursday. So would you rather play, Wednesday, or would you rather play Thursday? That's why I really feel like you're going to see some of these or all of these teams really play their guts out the next three games because they know there's a significant difference for them between playing Wednesday and playing Thursday, just in terms of giving yourself an extra game of rest or an extra day of rest uh, to, to get ready for what's going to be, you know, I think perhaps the best, best big 12 tournament I've been to and, and quite possibly the best conference tournament this year. Yeah. All right. Um, when you look at teams at the bottom of the standings, you know, I just want to get a quick refresher from you on this. Josh Eilert, I think we both agree not getting the job. Yeah. Mike Boynton, we both agreed as of last week is going to get another year. Yeah. But then I see, you know, I see Oklahoma State and I see the way that that fan base. I mean, there was nobody there on Wednesday night against UCF. They yeah. lose that game at home. I, you know, they've got three games left at Texas, home to Tech, at BYU. I still lean to him getting another year, Matthew. But gosh, when you see Gallagher-Iba as dead as that place was on yeah. Wednesday and they lose to UCF, it, it, it at least makes me wonder and at least think about the conversation once again in my head. What about you here in the next minute or so? I, 
I think it's going to be a hard conversation after the season between him and Chad Weiberg, the uh, athletic director who is now on the NCAA tournament committee for the next several years, starting in September. Um, yeah, I, I still lean toward him coming back, but I think it, it's going to, I think it's worth, I think it's worth understanding that he's probably not going to make a decision about the job right away. In other yeah. words, it's not going to be like Bruce Weber a couple of years ago where he resigned the day after the tournament. I think it's going to be, a conversation, a difficult conversation between the two of them. And I think Chad Weiberg is going to wait and see what these players do. You know, do some of them put themselves in the transfer portal? Do some of them decide to go to a different place? Um, if he can keep this young core of players together, I really think they can grow together and become something very good next year. But if some of those guys start splintering off, that potentially could be a signal to Weiberg that he maybe he needs to make a change at, at coach because these days, when you make a head coaching change, you basically expect most of your roster to go away because they yeah. have that option. So if you fire Mike Boynton or you let him go, number one, it's a nine million option if you do it or a nine million buyout if you do it before April 1. It's eight million after that. Number two, you're basically rebuilding. I mean, you're starting from scratch because whoever the new coach is probably isn't going to keep most of those guys because many of the guys that Boynton has recruited over the last two years have been four and five star players. So mm. it's a tough decision. I think it'll be a tough conversation, but I, in my gut, I still believe he gets one more year. We'll be watching. We'll be following. He's Matthew Poston's Heartland College Sports is where you find us covering the Big 12 Conference each and every day. Great job, my man. Thanks for being here. You bet. Appreciate it, Pete. All right. If you're on the show right now and you haven't yet, hit a thumbs up on the video on YouTube. Leave a five-star rating and review on uh, the podcast. We appreciate you guys doing that and being a part of the show. And we'll be talking to you soon. Big 12 tournament is right around the corner. Go Big 12.